The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If we keep or if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which we have just read. We thank you for it, the truth of your word and the power in your word. And Lord, we pray that we would, that we would truly abide in you and that you would truly abide in us. So bless us tonight as we, as we preach from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we, we talked about, spoke about abiding in Christ. And to abide in Christ means to fix your, yourself in the Lord. It, mean, it, means, it means to make residency in, in Christ. And Jesus said that he, if we abide in him, he will abide in us. And so our spiritual strength comes not from our own works. Our spiritual strength comes not from our own efforts, but rather they come from the righteousness of Christ. They come in the abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Now, as we said last week, many people mistaken this abundant life as a life of material blessings for us. This is not what the abundant life is wrapped up in the abundant life uh, we, we said last week is a fruitful life and we read from john chapter 15 that uh, the branch that abides in christ beareth fruit much fruit he said and 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 it's good fruit but the abundant life we said last sunday evening is a fruitful life and we de- we describe this fruit as the works of the spirit in our life and uh, of course the scripture tells provides for us the fruit of the spirit and the works of the spirit love joy gentleness goodness peace meekness temperance all these all these different attributes that we have in our life that abundant life that we live due to the works of the holy spirit in our life we also last week said that a fruitful life does include the winning of souls through our witness we are a witness for Christ. We go out into the, we've been commanded by Christ to go out into the community and to preach to all creatures, to all men. We are not to show, give respect to any one person. It's not for us to go out and judge who is or is not reachable. We are to preach the gospel very simply and very plainly stated to everyone we come in contact with. Some may say, well, you know, won't you waste a lot of time because some people will be saved? And, and let me tell you this, there's never a wrong time, there's never a wrong place, and there's never a wrong person to preach the gospel to. So we are not to become judges of, of the hearts of men. We are to witness to everyone around us. And, and we spoke last, this last week in some of the different messages I, I preached that not only do we witness with our mouth, 
but we witness with our actions. And the, 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 the life that we live, the testimony, that, the outward testimony that we bear, uh, also witnesses of Christ. And we must be faithful in these areas. So tonight I'd like to continue now by looking at a couple more attributes. And of course there are many more than this, but um, I only have another 30 minutes. And then this message has to be closed. So we'll give you what we can tonight. And there's a couple of areas in our life that I think uh, are important, that we, we handle them correctly for that spiritual strength in our life, for that abundant life that Jesus desired that we live. And so tonight, number two, the abundant life is an obedient life. In John chapter 15, we read it just a moment ago in verse 10. Jesus stated, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now remember, to abide, of course, means to take up residency. It means to, it means to be rooted and, and grounded. And so uh, Jesus' desire is that we would obey him. And in doing so, that we would, we would dwell in his love and in the Father's love. Obedience. This is absolutely foundational. What was the first sin committed by man? Anyone tell me? Anyone want to take a shot at that? First sin committed by man? Disobedience. That's right. That's exactly what it was. God told Adam, don't, don't eat from this tree. And Eve convinced Adam to eat. And Adam disobeyed the Lord. At the heart of every sin man commits is rebellion against God. Did you ever think of that? Every, at the root of every sin that man commits is a, is a rebellious heart toward God. It's denying God's command. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23, Samuel states, For rebellion, talking to Saul, he said, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king now in this statement god is showing us his great abhorrence for disobedience by comparing our rebellion our disobedience against his word and principles to such a vile practice as witchcraft and satanic divination and i'm sure that none of us here tonight i know certainly i personally would not intentionally want to involve myself in something so vile as this yet when we disobey god we are doing just that very thing. Let us go back to abiding in the vine for a moment. To keep the vine healthy, uh, one must ensure that there is no corruption attached. So from our readings and our study of last week, what does the husbandman do to a branch that is cor- corrupt, a, a branch that bears no fruit? Now remember, there are many, there are many false branches on the vine, but they're not... They, they, they're not rooted in the vine. Uh, they're not attached in the vine. They may be a vine, they may be a weed or, or a tear growing a, 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 alongside of the vine or, or growing around the vine, but they, they're not rooted. They're, they don't abide in the vine. They're not attached. What, what happens to these? Well, in John 15 and 2, we read, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, don't be confused here by the fact that Jesus used the phrase in me to describe these corrupt branches that bear no fruit. 
As I said, these are the tares among the wheat spoken of in Scripture. These are they that profess Christ but have never been saved. I want you to listen to what the commentator John Gill has to say concerning this. I read here, there are two sorts of branches in Christ the vine. The one sort are such who have only an historical faith in him. They believe but for a time and are removed. They are such who only profess to believe in him, as Simon Magus did, are in him by profession only. They submit to outward ordinances, become church members, and are so reckoned to be in Christ, being in a church state, as the churches of Judea and Thessalonica and others are said, in general, to be in Christ. Though it is not to be thought that every individual person in these churches were truly and savingly in him. These branches are unfruitful ones. What fruit they seem to have withers away and proves not to be genuine fruit. What fruit they bring forth is to themselves and not to the glory of God, being none of the fruits of his spirit and grace. And such branches the husbandman taketh away. These branches most definitely will be removed by the husbandman. And who did we say last Sunday is the husbandman? Anybody remember? You're just like my high school classes. God the Father, of course, is the husbandman. These branches are removed, and they will, if they're not removed, they will continue to corrupt other branches. Their barren condition will spread and will corrupt the smaller, younger branches. And this is why we sometimes witness those who fall away from our fellowship. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, John states, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. You see, it's, it's easy sometimes for people to, to come into the church. But as soon as trouble comes, as soon as disappointment comes, as soon as maybe they, they're not treated as well as they think they ought to be treated or they didn't get the high position that they felt they should get, they just wither away. They fall away. They go away. And this is evidence. Because the vine that is rooted in Christ doesn't, or I'm sorry, the branch that is rooted in Christ does not go away. Why doesn't it go away? Because the husbandman cares for it. God cares for it. He loves it. If he sees that that branch is, is, is not healthy as it should be, he will go to it and he will tend to it and he will care for it. These branches uh, that, that are corrupt have been trimmed away by the husbandman so that the whole may benefit and flourish in the vine. There are times when we will see um, people leave the church and, and, and sometimes it's, there's no explanation for it. Well, there is an explanation for it. Uh, the, the, the husbandman, God the Father, says, takes it away. He removes it from us so that, so that the corruption will not take over the branch that, that, that is you and I. But those branches who truly abide in Christ, who do produce fruit from the vine, and some more than others, they represent those who are true believers, those who have been regenerated and redeemed by the vine. They represent those that are obedient unto God and his word. And, and we must not, I want to say this tactfully, 
we must not weep over the vines, the, over the, the branches that have departed, the branches that have gone. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy to see people leave the church, of course. I, I, I certainly never want to see that happen. But, you know, sometimes it's for the betterment of the entire vine. And we need to learn to trust the Lord. You know, God has, has seen lots of people come and go in the church. And he knows what he's doing. Sometimes we try to outthink the Lord. And uh, uh, maybe it's, I don't know, may, maybe it's because of the military training I, I received. But I don't, I don't really mourn over people who leave the church. Because it's just like I don't mourn over, over husbands who leave their wives. You know, if you love your wife, you're going to stay with her, Amen. Marriage isn't easy, if any of you haven't figured that out yet. Show me a couple who says we have never fought in our marriage, and I'll show you a couple who's not married. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care how much money you have, I don't care how big a house you live in. If you live in a house so big you can't ever see each other, you're still going to argue. I can guarantee you that. So I want to look tonight, for just a few moments, at the faith, I mean, I'm sorry, at obedience. Uh, I said that... um, Abundant living is, is founded in obedience. So let me say this. First of all, letter A, obedience begins with faith. Obedience begins with faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Bible states, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Everything in the Christian life begins with faith. It is impossible to be saved without faith. And furthermore, it is imperative that you and I realize that in our old nature, we cannot exhibit faith in Christ. This too, the faith that we have to be saved is given to us by God the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of, oursel- uh, not of yourselves. In other words, the faith to believe is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It is God that gives us the faith that we need to believe. If we had the ability to believe without God, if we had the ability to gain faith without God, then we would not have needed a Savior to save us. We would not have needed a Savior to regenerate us. We would not have needed a Savior to drive us to repentance. Without faith, uh, we can't be saved. It's God that gives us the faith to believe as well as the faith we need to live. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul states, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. See that, the measure of faith? How is that faith given? How is it dealt? By God himself. Don't ever say to, to me or to anyone else, don't ever say, I just don't have that much faith. Because God has given you all the faith that you need. You have all the faith you need to believe. And may I say, you have all the faith you need to obey. So obedience begins with faith. But then secondly, obedience I want us to see is before sacrifice. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Of course, the scripture is surrounding the story of God sent Saul on a mission, and he was supposed to 
destroy all the men and all the women and, and all the children in, in uh, Amalek. And he was supposed to um, keep all of the cattle and all of the sheep alive for the Lord. And Saul uh, didn't obey the Lord. He went and he made, he, made his, he made his sacrifices and he did all these things with the, with the rams, thinking that he was going to please and honor God. And Saul, Samuel comes along and tells Saul, you didn't obey the Lord. Oh, yeah, I did. I did exactly what the Lord told me. So Samuel said, well, then what meaneth the bleeding of these sheep I hear? We, we come over here and, and see that, that um, Saul thought that he was going to do, do a great thing for the Lord by, by doing what he thought was best and make sacrifices and other things. But the truth of the matter is that God delights more in our obedience than our sacrifices. God does want us to live sacrificial lives. He does want us to give. He does want us to serve. He does want us to do all those things. In fact, in fact, Paul stated just that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He stated that it's a reasonable thing for us to be sacrificial in, in the living of our lives. However, this does not supersede God's command to obey. Now, I have known many Christians who are more than willing to do things for the church, but they fail to obey the Lord in, in other things. They may preach, they may sing, they may, they may even tithe, they may volunteer at work days and all those other things, but all the while, they fail to obey the Lord in things such as husbands love your wives. Fathers, admonish your children. Servants, obey your masters. Brethren, love and respect one another. Now, something is wrong here. So many people will offer God sacrifice, but fail to give him obedience. And this is exactly what Saul did. And then he had the gall to blame the people. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's all go there. 1 Samuel chapter 15. As I told you last week, you may get there before me, but I will get there. 1 Samuel chapter 15, and look at verses 1 through 3. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did unto Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So here we see that God has commanded Saul to go and, and do this thing. And it's, it's not for us to judge whether God was, was righteous in this or not. The Lord is, is righteous in all his ways, and all that he does is, is right and perfect. So don't question God's integrity in this commandment. Fact is, though, that Saul was commanded by God to do something. Okay, let's look at verse 7. We read there, And Saul smote the Amaleks from Havilah until thou comest to Shur. This is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Uh-oh. Was he supposed to keep the king alive? No, he wasn't. 
and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul uh, and, the, and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and without, would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So Saul didn't obey the Lord. The Lord told him, go in there and, and, and destroy everything. So what happens now? Let's look at verse number 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? It's says Samuel talking to Saul. Um, Wherefore then thou didst not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, you might want to understand, underscore that word people, but the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Did you see that? Well, Samuel, the people did it. The people made me do it. He blamed the people for his own disobedience. And what about us tonight? I have to ask the question, are you obeying the voice of the Lord? Are you living your life in obedience to the word of God? Listen, God doesn't leave any mystery for us as to what he wants us to do, how he wants us to do it, when he wants us to do it, and where he wants us to do it. We just want to try to justify our own, our own sin. We want to justify the pleasure that we have in this world and, and the things of this world. And we try to justify that by claiming that we're, we're making great sacrifices to the Lord. Listen, you can't make enough sacrifices to God. You cannot do enough for God if you spent every waking moment for the rest of your entire life doing nothing but, but serving God and, and subject humiliation. And, and, and you just couldn't do enough. You never. God doesn't want your sacrifice because you're never going to be able to satisfy him. If, uh, once again, if we were able to do works and make sacrifices that were pleasing to God, then we would not have needed a Savior. We could have redeemed ourselves. So God's not interested in that. He's interested in your obedience. He wants you to show him that you do love him and that you will live your life according to his command. Are we obeying the voice of the Lord tonight? Are we tithers? Everybody here tithe? What if John was supposed with names attached to who gives what? Would you, would, you, would you like to see a list like that? Listen, we're, we're just a bunch of souls. Well, you know, the people made me do it. Well, you know, the world made me do it. Well, you know, it's, it's, I thought, you know, I, I thought, I, I think God was a little hasty. I thought it would be better to do it this way. Are we like Saul, reevaluating the commands of God because they are not what we want them to be? Let me just say tonight, don't question God's command. Just, just obey them. He knows what he's doing. We don't have all the facts. We don't have enough information to, to make judgments. We just need to do what the Lord tells us to do and trust him and have faith in him and not question him. Obedience begins with faith. It's before sacrifice. But then thirdly, let me say that obedience results in friendship with Christ. 
In John chapter 15 and verse 14, he says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now, I've, always, I've, I've had a struggle with this since, since I got saved. I've had, a, I've had a struggle with calling Jesus my friend. He's my Lord. He's my king. He's, he's far too much to be just simply my friend. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm thankful that for the friendship I have with Christ. But, you know, what could be more satisfying in this life than to live your life in such a manner that Jesus would call you friend? He says, if you, you are my friends, but he, he puts an if after that. You are my friends if you obey my commands. So we, we have to be sure that we are living our life in obedience to Christ. And that will, when we do so, that will result in friendship with Christ. Consider for a moment the men of the Bible who were obedient unto God. And consider the relationship that resulted from their obedience. Now, certainly, as Pastor mentioned this morning, these, these men that I'm going to name, they weren't perfect. They had faults and they had weaknesses. But one thing... One thing we see from their life in Scripture is that they were a friend of God. They had, a, they had a friendship relationship with the Father. What about a man such as Noah? In Genesis 6.22 we read, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah and his family, and, and probably his family, did it because they just respected their father and were going to obey him. But Noah and his family were the only survivors of, of, of a world, of a global deluge, of a global flood. Because Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Genesis 6, 8, we see, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What about the relationship Abraham had with the father? Now again, as I said we, we discussed this morning that Abraham had his faults. He lied. He doubted God. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, we read, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. His obedience, his obedience strengthened the relationship he had with his father. And Jesus says in scripture that, he was a friend of God. What about J Joshua and Caleb? Numbers chapter 32 and verse 12. Everyone died in, 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 in Israel of, of, of uh, 40 years and older. And why? Well, Numbers 32, 13. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have wholly followed the Lord. Joshua and Caleb... They trusted in God, they believed in God, and they obeyed the Lord. Joshua and Caleb went and looked at the same countryside that ten other men looked at. And the, the ten other men came back and said, Oh, uh, the, it's, it's truly a land flowing with milk and honey, and the grapes are, 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 are the size of... I'm, I'm, I'm improvising or, or uh, embellishing here. This, grapes are the size of basketballs. And they got a whole team of giant basketball players over there. We can't, you know, it's a beautiful land, but we can't, we can't take the land. We can't, we can't win this battle. They're giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Well, Joshua and Caleb looked at the same countryside. 
And they came back and said, let's go and let's go get them because if God wants us to have it, he's greater than them and we will have what God wants us to have. See, the difference is Joshua and Caleb looked with eyes of obedience, whereas the other ten spies looked with eyes of the flesh. And if you and I are going to succeed in living an obedient life, we have to stop looking at things with the eyes of flesh. We have to stop using our human reasoning. We have to stop trusting in our own devices. And we need to just learn to do it because thus saith the Lord. And because God said it, we do it. We don't question it. We don't doubt it. We just, we just obey the Lord. You want spiritual strength tonight? You're never going to have it. You're never going to have it unless you learn to obey God in all things. But then, lastly tonight, the abundant life is a life of love. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now again, this, this fruit does not agree with the old nature. In the flesh, we cannot love one another as Christ loved us. In the flesh, we only love those that love us. We love only those that are lovable. In the flesh, we do not love those that wrong us. In the flesh, we do not lo- love those that do not treat us the way we want to be treated. In the flesh, we do not love those that are unlovable. But I want you to consider for Stephen for a moment. Let's turn together to Acts chapter 7, please. Acts chapter 7. And we're going to begin reading at the end of, of chapter 7. I'll kind of give us the background story a little bit. Stephen is brought before the council. And he begins to testify on behalf of the Savior. And as Peter testifies, uh, I'm sorry, as Stephen testifies and gets to the end of his, of his sermon, these men become very upset. Look with me at Acts chapter 7, and let's begin at verse number 54. We read here, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Have you ever gotten someone so mad at you that they started biting on you? I mean, think about this for a moment. You have to be pretty mad at somebody to start chewing on them. I mean, they gnashed on him with their teeth. So you don't have to be a scholar to understand what that means. They, they, were, they, were, they were gnawing on him. They were biting him. They were so mad at him. Verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Now, they were mad enough at him to bite him already. But now, when he claimed that he saw God, they really got mad now. I mean, this, this was the, the, the utmost blasphemy to these, to these Sanhedrin and, and Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 58, And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul who became Paul of Tarsus. Paul uh, was apparently very affected by this later. But we see here that these men are, are now, they're, stone, they're stoning Stephen. And, and in those days, there was one purpose in stoning. It was to kill you. 
And they, their stones weren't little bitty rocks. They were, they were movable-sized boulders. In many of the stoning pits, it was just that. It was a pit. And they would cast the person into that pit, and, and it, was a, it was a circle. And men would gather around the circle, and there would be stones there, be boulders there, all around there. And they would pick that thing up, and he had no place to run, and they would just throw these boulders on him with all their strength and all their might and just crush and destroy him. This is how much they hated Stephen. Now, I've never been tested in this manner. I don't know what I would do, and I'm not going to propose to stand here and say I'd be a great Bible hero at that moment. But we we don't witness Stephen fighting back. We don't witness Stephen swearing and cursing. And we don't witness him angry at God. What we do see, though, in verse 59... And they stoned Stephen, calling, calling upon God. Now, they weren't calling upon God. Stephen was calling upon God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Here we see Stephen just, just filled with love. No hatred. No retaliation. And then in verse 60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, Stephen demonstrated love. Love for God. See, he loved God enough to obey God, even if it cost him his life. He didn't put a, he, he didn't put a price on his obedience. Stephen didn't say, okay, Lord, I'll be a deacon and I'll obey you and I'll serve you as long as it doesn't cost me anything. As long as I don't have to cash out an IRA or as long as I don't have to sell some stock, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll love you, Lord, as long as it doesn't cost me nothing. I love you, Lord, as long as I don't get hurt. Now, I'm pretty sure that Stephen didn't necessarily, at that moment, like the men that were killing him. I'm sure he didn't look up and and say, I like you. Man, you know what? You're a good friend. I really like you. He he didn't say that. but, But I know that he loved them because he prayed that God would forgive them. I know this because the very last words that he spoke on earth, Father, forgive them. You see, there is a difference between liking someone and loving someone. And I think, I think we, we have crossed, gotten those lines blurred in our country today, especially in our spiritual life. Because if we don't like you, we won't love you. In our churches in America, if, if, if you mean to me, I'm not going to like you. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm even secretly probably going to wish something bad happened to you. Now... You don't have to like someone to love them. The definition of like is to be fond of. While the definition of love is a strong, positive emotion of regard and affection. Jesus didn't command us to like one another. Our nature, our, our, our cultures clash. Our differences cause us sometimes to not like each other too much. I mean, there, I know lots of people don't like me. How you could possibly not like me, I don't know. But I know a lot of people that don't like me. But thank God, I've got a lot of Christian brothers who love me. And even though maybe I upset them, and even though maybe, maybe I, I did something to hurt them, I can feel that they pray for me, and I can feel that they genuinely love me. So let's not get that confused. Jesus didn't command us to love, to like one another. 
He did command us to love one another, even as he loves us. And the only way we will accomplish this, the only way we will bear this fruit, is if we are in the vine. If we abide in Jesus, is the only way we will, we will ever, ever be able to sincerely love one another. Now, quickly in closing, let me give you just these few thoughts and I'll be done. How does Christ love us? Because we are to love we're to love one another as he loved us. So how did he love us? First, letter A, he loves us unconditionally. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. That love is unconditional. When I was, when I was a, a, a young boy, my sister had gotten married, and she was leaving to go and, and live with her, her husband. He was in the Navy, and they were, they were going to, to a training base in Tennessee. And daddy packed the, her trunk, and he was trying to close her trunk. And he was so gingerly and so gently trying to bounce the trunk like this and get it to latch because it was overstuffed. <laughs> and I was a little confused. I was standing there, and I was saying, Daddy's a lot stronger than that. Why don't he just get that thing a whack and close it? So he and my brother were talking, and they stepped away for a moment. And daddy bent over and he put his fingers on the edge of the, the lip of the trunk and was peeking down in there while my brother was gently closing it. He was trying to say, okay, what's stopping it? And I just came up to there and I just went, whack! And his fingers were in that trunk. And it latched. And he starts screaming for the keys. And they couldn't find them. They weren't... They weren't, in the, they weren't in the car. So my brother runs in the house screaming, Mom, where's the keys? Where's the keys? I got terrified. I thought, life's over. Daddy's going to kill me. So I ran in the bedroom, and I ran behind my bed in the corner, and I hid. And about 30 minutes later, Dad comes walking in, and he's got eight fingers bandaged. Got little bandages on his fingers. He came over, and he sat in my bed, and he said, Son, come here. He said, I know you didn't mean to do this. And, and, and son, I'm not mad at you. I, I love you. And he hugged me. He said, but I don't like you too much right now. <laughs> you, you, we've all been there. You, you parents, you've got moments when you don't like your children. I mean, it's true. We love them because they're our children. But we get, sometimes they get us angry and we don't like them so much. But Jesus loves us unconditionally. Jesus' love isn't taken away from us every time we do something wrong. And then, then that's a good thing, right? He loves us unconditionally. Secondly, he loves us eternally. Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. This is the great breadth of God's love. He loved me before I knew him. He loved me before the world was formed. And he will love me for all eternity. His love for me will never end. Such is the love we need tonight. We need this kind of love in our marriages, husband and wives, loving one another sincerely and genuinely, never even considering divorce, never even thinking about it, never even entertaining it. Till death do your part, and not helping death along either, by the way. We need this kind of love tonight for our children because of who they are. They're my, my children are my children. Now, do, they, do I get upset with my children? Oh, sure. And don't any of you sit there and look at me and say, I've never gotten upset at my child either. 
Because you have. We all have. And you know, sometimes we get so upset, we may say things that hurt, and we may say things that are mean. But we're, we're, we love them because they're of who they are. They're our children. Now, God doesn't treat us, unfortunately, the way we treat our children, but God also loves us because of who we are. Not because of what we do or, or what we can do, or, but because of who we are, he loves us. We need this kind of love toward our brethren, to one another, for the very same reason, because of who we are. How dare we? How, how, how dare me? mistreat any of you how dare I do that when I consider how much God loves me and when I consider how God treats me now when when I need it God will God will chastise me but he loves me with an undying love he loves me unconditionally he loves me eternally and then lastly tonight he loves us sacrificially John fifteen thirteen: greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. First John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now this is hard. To give your life for another. And this can only be done by someone you truly love. Now I want you to think for a moment tonight about a soldier. A soldier who gives his life on the battlefield. He doesn't die because he likes everyone in America, but he does love America. He or she does love liberty. And even though they don't like everyone on the earth, they love their nation and they love its citizens. And this is the love that God desires that we would have tonight. And this type of love, this type of of sacrificial love can only flow to us through the vine. It can only flow to us through Jesus. He empowers us to love. He He produces love in our lives. Because we abide in him and because he abides in us, this is why we are able to love question is do you love tonight do you love the lord if you love the lord you'll obey him if you love the lord you'll serve him if you love the lord you will do anything you can to show him that you love him so much more could and should be said but i'll have to stop here tonight because i don't have any more time But spiritual strength comes from Christ and Christ alone. And until we learn, until we learn who we are, who are we? Any of you remember from last week? Who are we? Say it out. Don't be ashamed. Children of God. That's right. And is it okay for us to live in sin? Huh? That's not who we are. We're a new creation, remember? God made us whole. He gave us the righteousness of Christ. He gave us the mind and the heart and the nature of Christ. That's not who we are anymore. It's not okay. It's not okay for me to miss church. It's not okay for me to rob the tithe. 
It's not okay for me to do whatever I want to do because I feel like doing it. That's not me. That's not who I am. It's not okay. Quit saying God understands because he doesn't. And one day his wrath will fall upon this nation because it's not okay. And he doesn't understand. Every aborted baby's voice has been heard by the Lord and he will have enough of it at some point in time. Every mother who who has had her husband divorce her and desert the children and she's she's had to work two or three jobs and suffer. God has heard every one of her cries. He's heard every one of her prayers. It's not okay. He doesn't understand. That's not who we are. He didn't didn't redeem us to live that way. He wants you to be an example to those around you. He wants wants you to obey him. He wants you to, to love the way he loves us. If we abide in him and he abides in us. Remember last... Sunday night, I asked you a question and said, how many of you would want a life, if I could give you a life filled with joy, blessedness, assurance, and peace? Remember how many of you raised your hand saying, yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. Well, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't give you that life. But Jesus can. And if we abide in him, and if he abides in us, we will have the spiritual strength that we need to live for God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. I, I can't even begin to imagine, Father, why you love me. There been times in my life, Lord, when I don't even love me. But you love us. And Father, I, I thank you for the wisdom that you impart to us so that we can live our lives in obedience to you, so that we can lead fruitful lives that, that produce love, joy, peace, and all these things in our life. Father, we just thank you for all these things and ask, Father, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to live for you. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.